skateboarders never thought that skateboarding was going to be the Olympic Games, but my family always knew. My dad used to tell me when I was seven or eight years old that, like, son, skateboarding is going to be an Olympic sport, and when it is, you're going to be ready. Hello and welcome to Partners in Time. My name is Maurice Mortu. I'm part of the marketing team here in Schaffhausen and I'm today's host. Our guest today is Jagger Eaton. He is five times X Games medalist, two times world champion and he won the very first medal in the Olympics in skateboarding for the US team. Today we talk about his journey in time, competing in skateboarding from a very early age on until what he is up to today, focusing on the Olympics in Paris. Hello and welcome, Jagger Eaton. Welcome to Schaffhausen, welcome to IWC and welcome to our little podcast studio. Welcome to Partners in Time. How are you and how is Switzerland treating you? I am doing great. I am doing great. It is a pleasure to be here. This is the coolest little recording studio I've ever seen. <laughs> If anybody has, is listening to this podcast and never seen the studio, it's amazing. Um, it's great. I love Switzerland. Um, I never thought that I would love a place this much in Europe. Like, it's just unbelievable. You know, the nature, the food, the people, it's it's a beautiful place. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. And I'm sure many people can relate to that. Switzerland is a fantastic country. And thank you also for complimenting our little podcast container here. And we are very happy about it. When we started the journey with the podcast two and a half years ago, we said, if we want to commit to it, We have to start it and visualize it and create the cabin. Uh, so this is how we started from, you know, episode one, first one with Lewis Hamilton and all the way up to uh, the episode today with you. So I know that you have quite an agenda today. Thank you for visiting us here in Schaffhausen. I know you will go to the Manufacture Centrum later, but I hear you already uh, visited the collection and you got introduced to quite some of the products. How do you like it so far? How is your experience here in Schaffhausen? Uh, my experience here in Schaffhausen, is that how I should say it? Schaffhausen? Perfect. Okay. My experience here in Schaffhausen has been amazing and it's only been a few hours. You know, I think that it's, it's really fast to hear about the legacy and the history of the brand and I'm very new right you know I, I my, my first event was Miami F1 and it was just an unbelievable introduction to such a legendary brand and for the hours that I've only been here so far mm -hmm. it's, it's been amazing and this is where I think uh, you also got to meet Lewis Hamilton right yes yeah I got to meet Lewis um, I wasn't on his basketball team but my team did win so, so. <laughs> <laughs> So you competed against Lewis Hamilton and you won. So that's already a very good start to embark on uh, this brand, right? Yes, it's definitely a highlight of my competition career, <laughs> for sure. Again, it was just basketball. If we got behind the seat of a car, I'm pretty sure that it would be a little different. I, I will have to look it up whether I find it in your Wikipedia entry as, you know, the list of accomplishments. <laughs> well, that that's, you know, that one's more in my diary. I put that one. It's my list of my accomplishments, but I don't think you'll find it on Wikipedia. <laughs> But, I mean, accomplishments, there are quite a few. And, uh, of course, you know, five times medalist at the X Games, two times world champion, and then very first skateboarding Olympics competition. You also won a medal. But before we get into that and what this meant to you, I would, you know, like our listeners to understand a little bit of your journey because I understood that you, you know, started quite early in your ambition, in your skateboarding career. And as this is not the regular sports that you learn in school, I would like our 
our listeners to understand how skateboarding come to you and what made it such a passion for you. Yes, uh, skateboarding was introduced to me and my older brother on Christmas Day. Um, I was four years old, my brother was six, and it changed our lives forever. You know, m my dad and my mom got us both skateboards. I can still remember the graphic. It was, it was a blue ghost skateboard, and I just fell in love. Me and my brother had the same ones. And um, following the skateboards, my dad a week later built a, a little ramp in the garage for us to just start practicing on. And, I, you know, I, I look back at my career when I started and the only reason that I'm here sitting with you today talking is because of my older brother's passion for skateboarding as well. You know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be anywhere. And what ended up happening was at the time, both my parents were both Olympic level coaches and they were also Olympic level athletes. So I was in a rarely competitive environment as a kid. We always got taught that competition was good and uh, which, which also caused a lot of controversy <laughs> and, and uh, bickering between me and my siblings. But at the same time, it was all good. It was all it was all fun and positive. Like that's not a problem if, you know, you do grow up in a competitive household, you naturally, you know, skew to that as a children. Right. But if your entire setup is meant to be compete and on the highest level that must be very interesting yes and also you know my parents really believe in dedicating your life to something you know and it doesn't and really sports is for me i think for you sports is the most important thing for kids you know i, I look at i look at you know like my younger siblings right and the way they are attached to skateboarding and, and rodeo and all these things that just bring out the best in you at a young age um and The way that it worked as a kid was, you know, when my when my parents saw the type of love that me and my brother had for skateboarding, at the time we we and we still do we still run a gymnastics gym and it's called Desert Devils and it was just desert <laughs> yeah it was just Desert Devils at the time when we were so young and what happened was in, in in the summer in that summer when we fell in love with skateboarding you know from Christmas that summer that about mm -hmm. five months we absolutely could not go a day without riding a skateboard me and Jet were just so competitive and in love with it and we were spending all day at Desert Devils at the gym and my dad started building little ramps in the back of the gymnastics gym for for us <laughs> and there were just little ramps and all the parents came around and were like hey could our boys and girls start doing skateboarding lessons too because you know mm -hmm. we're coming here and most of the time you know you have you have multi-families with three or five children and you know most of the time they just come and, and one does gymnastics and the others just have to play around or sit or read a book and and my dad was like you know what there's really not a safe progressive environment for kids to learn how to skateboard and one thing that my dad's amazing at is creating curriculums for the younger generation to succeed so he created a whole skateboarding curriculum around me and my brother's passion and we built full-blown skate parks and now that skate park is now kids that rip Wow, that's an incredible story and uh, it shows the commitment of your family right from the beginning I mean you know one week after you got the skateboard you built the first mini ramp or what was it inside your home That's exactly what it was. It was a super janky, not good mini ramp that was in my garage. And that garage was, that garage was about 120 degrees, <laughs> 120 degrees in the summertime. And, uh, and, you know, again, you know, I wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for my parents and their dedication toward my career. That's very incredible. And for those You know, the listeners who maybe have not touched a skateboard in their life, you know, it's usually not that you start one week out um, playing around with uh, mini ramps, you know, you would start trying to balance out, um, you know, for a couple of weeks, uh, usually before you before you go in any kind of uh, ramps and not to say um, you what age have you and your brother been at that point in, in time? 
uh, when 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 the skate park was built and fully operating with coaches and everything, this was about two years after I got my skateboard. So when I was about six years old and my brother was about eight, we had full-time coaches and curriculums. And wow. not only that, but we actually created a full-blown skate community in Arizona that was based around youth development. And we had my friends, you know, we had my friends Alana Smith, Aaron Gore, Cam Sedlick. These are all names of friends that I grew up with skating. And not only that, but then you go into like my school life, right? And my mm -hmm. school life was at ktr so i was doing school from seven in the morning to noon every day at the skate park and then would skate from 12 to seven at night <laughs> like it was just it was it was the most unbelievable fun exciting environment for any kid who was passionate about what they did you know and i i look back at it and i i look back at it now as an adult and i think like i can't believe i woke up some days scared to like go to school or, or go skate, you know, like, act like it was pressure or stress because that was just so fun. Wow. So you really had, you know, the calling, the commitment to go and skate like every day, you know, not comparable to probably the piano lessons that I took and I, I had to take and I never enjoyed it. <laughs> so you really, you know, found your calling and it seems to not only that you had your group of people, but also the family uh, support and you, you built it then a community uh, yourself that you could start your professional career, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, and again, I always go back to my family and friends. Like I wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for my families and friends passion at a young age to be successful in skateboarding. But what I think is so special about skateboarding for all the listeners who've never skated and never even thought about skateboarding, which I don't blame you. If you, if you look at skateboard, you're like, dude, this, this looks like it hurts. So like, it looks like I'm definitely going to fall. I'm definitely going to cut something open or break something. <laughs> But skateboarding is, is so significant at a young age because it is your first taste of freedom. Like when you get on a skateboard at a young age, you are completely in charge of what you do. It's not like it's flag football or it's like basketball or golf where you need to hit chips and make putts or, you know, make a ball in a hoop. It's like you get on a skateboard and the world is your playground. You're doing whatever you want to do whenever you get on your skateboard and you do it differently than anybody else who's ever gotten a skateboard ever, which as a, as a kid, right, it's like oh my gosh, like the whole world just opens up in front of you and you're able to ride different textures and grind rails and, and fall and get back up and learn that, learn that key trait of life, which is persistence. And it teaches you at such a young age, there's so many life lessons in skateboarding that nobody really talks about. And the one that I always go back to is persistence. Like I really fully believe that there's nothing in this world I can't conquer or get through or get back up from because of skateboarding. An incredible picture that you are drawing and I, I believe it is something if you learn it from a very young age that en engraved in the way you think and you work which doesn't mean that uh, people cannot take you as the inspiration but the second thing that what comes to mind you know when we talk about skateboarding and I had my experience uh, myself is pain because there's no way of skateboarding without getting hurt like every day and even if you do the trick that you dreamed of for a week you land it once doesn't mean that you master it so there's pain 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 a little bit of fame and then it's pain 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 again how did you you know continue uh, that journey and, and how have you put your mind towards what's fascinating you versus what puts you back of course yes uh, I was actually recently having a conversation about this with um, with two older gentlemen I met the golf course here in Switzerland I was having a conversation about pain and skateboarding and <laughs> and there really is no such thing 
as skateboarding without pain. Every, like, as a professional who's done this for 18 straight years and never stopped, I can tell you that every time I get on my skateboard, I'm walking out of the skate park with something bruised, something cut. Most of the time, not something broken, but it's definitely a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that what it comes down to is presence and enthusiasm to be the absolute best I can be. And when I say presence, I mean that I'm not thinking about anything but right now. Like skateboarding is so scary and there's so much risk that it brings you so present. It kind of brings you into that fight or flight mode, right? It's, I always compare it to, to Lewis and, and F1, right? Because there, you cannot be thinking about the next turn. You can't be thinking about anything but what you're feeling and what you're doing right now. And skateboarding brings you incredibly present. And the next thing I would say was is enthusiasm, right? Is the ability to create and innovate skateboarding and move the needle in progression. And that's kind of where that comes into into what I do as far as my Olympic disciplines, right? Which is doing both park and street. Uh, I'm the only one that does it. And I believe that the reason why I do it is because I want to see more kids do what I'm doing. I want to see kids push themselves to the point of exhaustion trying to change the game and that that's what constantly keeps me attached to skateboarding it's just the ability to innovate and create thank you very much for elaborating on that and for the dear listeners who are you know not so much into skateboarding and it's very particular that you run in both uh, disciplines street and park can you give a short recap of you know what it actually means because i'm sure people have seen skateboard videos and what is the difference uh, within the two and why is it so particular that you are able to compete in both disciplines on the highest level of course um i would compare what i do to um if you're familiar with snowboarding or skiing right what i would say was that there's slope style discipline which is the jumps and the rails and then there's the half pipe and there's very few snowboarders and skiers that do that right like eileen goo is one that does both she does slope style and half pipe i that's almost exactly what i do is I'm the only one that does it in both disciplines. And um, I don't, I never understood why a lot of people don't do it, but now doing both, I see why, like the workload is <laughs> double, is, is double. But at the same time, that that's the best way I can compare it is slope style and half pipe. And what I do is park and street and they're very different. Thank you very much. And before we go into where's your mind now, and there's something coming up, I think, in a couple of months and not far from here in, in Paris, I would like to go quickly back. It's not fast forward from your early childhood, but fast forward to your first X Games, because uh, you were not very, you know, you were quite a young age when you compete. I believe you were 11 years old when you participated in the X Games. Can you tell us what happened and why you were able to compete already during this competition? Yes. So X Games when I was 11 was a roller coaster of emotions. Like that's the best way I can explain it. Um, the way I got my invite to X Games was not the way I wanted to. Um, at the time, my older brother, so I, at the time I was 11, my older brother was, uh, he would have been 13. Um, and how I got my invite to X games was because my older brother jet got his invite to X games and he was practicing for the event and suffered a really bad brain injury. And he hit his head really hard and was put into an induced coma and stop breathing and all these things that were really catastrophic to his body and his mind. 
Um, and this was about five months before the X Games. So Jet already had his invite. And Jet was also the pioneer for all of us young kids learning how to skate Mega Ram. Jet was the one who did the full pull, who made a run that was good enough to make X Games. Jet was the innovator. And I was just following after his footsteps. I was just going and watching him skate and kind of rolling around. And when my brother suffered that injury, um, the the man by the name of Jeff Jewett, who ran all of the X Games invites for Megram at the time, said, I'm keeping this invite for the Eaton family. Like Jagger, I know you can I know you can make it. You <laughs> like, just you, like like your name is already on it, so we'll find a way. Well, the Eaton name was already on it, but exactly. Jet was the invite, right? And and so at the time I've only done I've done very little over Mega Ramp, but I knew that there's no way I'm gonna let this invite go to anybody but the Eaton family. Like I'm gonna rise to the occasion. There's no way I can look at my brother on this hospital bed right now and think that his career's over and there's not another career starting. Like I'm doing this after his name. There's no way I'm not going to push through my fear and make it happen. And, you know, five months later, um, I officially got my invite and got a run that was good enough to make the X Games and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> What an incredible way uh, to deal with uh, setbacks and uh, really, you know, tough ones. But I understood that your older brother recovered and he's also um, back to skateboarding, right? So just. Yes. Yeah, so my brother, yeah, so my brother Jet recovered and now he teaches skateboarding, teaches uh, the philosophy of, of being a great athlete and, and being able to persist. And Jet is my biggest idol and my biggest mm. inspiration. And there's nobody in this world that I would want to dedicate my career more to than Jet. And um, yeah, I mean, we skate all the time and he tells me all the time how he wants to go back and skate Mega Ramp. Like you're <laughs> talking about tough. That dude is tough. He is as tough as nails, as tough as they come. And uh, and yeah, he's my biggest inspiration. Wow, that's incredible. And he probably uh, knows that because I think that he would like uh, to continue seeing, competing on the on the highest level and probably understood, meanwhile, what kind of influence he has. You explained it from your early childhood. And I can imagine, you know, being two years younger, it's very hard to pick up on that uh, very young age to be on the same level as the older brother so probably that was yeah it, it definitely was and I think all the I think all you listeners can really relate to that right is is like Jet was so good and so calculated right like I, like, I think a lot of people perceive skateboarders as fearless which is not true we're not fearless we're calculated risk takers there's a lot of fear and risk in what we do, but we're also very calculated in the way where we know exactly where to land. We know how fast to spin. We know all these things. And, and Jet was the prime example of that. And uh, he's the guy that I always talk to when I'm struggling or when I'm going through some, I always call him and I'm able to pick his brain on certain things, you know, and also coaching, you know, his whole, his whole job now is, is, is raising the youth in a positive environment for skateboarding, right? And and it's such a fulfilling job for him. And I, I love seeing him do it, you know, and it's definitely something that I'll do after my career is over. That's um, amazing. And maybe we can, from that, also understand how do you prepare for, for competition? Because it's very hard 
for you know non-professionals to understand how you train um, for competitions because with soccer and football you can see how people are you know trained because it's you know it's a team they run in schools but as skateboarding is so individual and I think it makes it also so uh, beautiful it's very hard to understand from the outside you know what it takes to become better and what it takes to compete on the highest level so what is your routine what is your work ethic and how do you then go into competition can you tell us a little bit about that Yeah, of course. Um, and, 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 you know, I feel like my routine and my regimen is very comparable to football or to all these other sports because my philosophy with competition is I practice like I compete and I compete like I practice. So it's very, it's very simple. Like I don't, I don't do anything. I do the hard work. Right. I don't do any like sort of like um, I always compare it to like Rocky. Right. When you mm -hmm. like look at Rocky's like the the rugged training, like I do that type of training. I don't do like the stuff where I'm in the lab and I'm trying to generate like the greatest sort of thing. I do the work that I try to simulate the pressure that I'm going to feel on contest day in the practice facility. Right. So the, the routine, most of the time, it looks like whatever type of contest I'm going to, whatever format it is. Right. Let's say it's let, let's say it's two runs and five best tricks. And I take your top total three scores. Right. I'm running those contest simulations five out of seven days a week with the goal to not leave the park until I get the scores that I want from my coaches and my team. And that that's basically how each day works for me when I'm back home training. And do you, next to doing it and doing the entire set, do you visualize it? Do you put your mind to where you want to get at? Because I think there's a lot of inspiration for people outside professional sports to learn from it. Yes, of course. Um, visualization is a huge part of what I do. And at the same time, I, I can't, you know, it's hard for me to talk about visualiz visualization because it's kind of all that I do. Like I, I'm so obsessed with being the greatest I can be at what I do that all I'm constantly thinking about is how I can get better. You know? So when I think about, when I think about simulating contest pressure, right? Like if I can sit here and close my eyes and think about what I'm going to feel when I'm on the course in Paris, right? Like what I want to feel like, what I want those nerves to be, what I want my, what I want my thought pattern to be. That's what I'm doing when I get to the park is I'm standing up there on the deck and I'm visualizing how I want to feel, what tricks I want to do, the strategy that I have for the contest, the type of mindset that I want to the 20 minutes of my performance. And that's what I do. And to simulate that type of pressure, you need to be so obsessed with what you do because you will constantly avoid that type of pressure if you're not obsessed. You'll go into the park and your whole goal will be to have fun or to um, do or to hang out with your friends. Right. But my whole goal every time I go to the park is to simulate those feelings that I'm going to have in Paris. Because the closer that I can get to that, the closer I can get to the realization that those two gold medals are just a foot away. They're just a touch away, a trick away. You know, incredible. And uh, for the listeners, you have heard mentioning him, Paris, of course, there's the Olympics uh, next year where you obviously already training for. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about your journey to Paris and the Summer Olympics? Yes. Yeah, so none of the invites are confirmed until March of next year. But right now in the rankings in street skateboarding, I am ranked seventh in the world and top two American. 
So the way that the qualification works is they take top three from each country and you have to be in the top 44 to get an invite. So I'm second, I'm second overall American and seventh in the world in street and number one in the world in park and number one American. So where I'm sitting right now, I'm sitting in a great position. Um, I feel great on my board. I feel enthused. The contest that I have for the rest of the year is I have Park World Championships in two weeks in Rome. And if I do well in, the, if I do well in that contest, I'll basically solidify my invite for the Olympic Games. And then in December, I have the World Championships in street skateboarding. And if I have a great event there, I'll solidify my, my participation in the Olympics. Okay, so it's more than understood. It's more than training for it. Did it start already the beginning of the year that you had to, you know, go up on the, to, to compete to make it to Paris? Yeah, so the qualification starts a year and a half before the Olympic Games. And the first contest that there was was January in Dubai. And it was both street and park events. And that was a world championships. And I won world championships in park and got sixth in street. So... Um, the way that the points work is world championships hold a lot of significance compared to normal contests, right? There's four star events, and there's five star events and world and world's uh, world championship events are five star events, right? So it's, they hold a lot of importance and, um, and yeah, you know, I was really fortunate to start the year off with a win that that was huge considering that. Um, the last run to Tokyo that I did at the, at the Olympic Games, I made one team on my last contest on my last trick. And it was just such, <laughs> I look back at it and people, people, you know, talk about this performance as, as one of my better performances, but I really think that it was, it's really immature for me to show up to the last contest of the year to make the Olympic team with a broken ankle <laughs> and a broken spirit. <laughs> like that should not have been the way it, that should not have gone the way it went. Right. And I think that a big part of the, where I'm at now is I'm trying to gain the points early. Right. So I can really prepare really, I can really prepare five months out of the Olympic games in Paris to really dial in these tricks. And I'm learning so that the gold medal is, is just a trick away. And can you then tell our listeners what it meant to you? Because, you know, you made it to Tokyo, to the Olympics. Um, it was the first time that skateboarding was up there. You were able to represent your country and uh, in general skateboarding because it was the first time. Many people have been waiting for it like for decades. Uh, some thought it will never be, be at the Olympics. And uh, can you tell us, what it meant for you and uh, as you said you were injured at that time and you still said you wanted uh, to compete and not miss the chance to win the first uh, medal at the olympics yeah competing with the jersey on my back for my country was the biggest honor that i've ever had and it was the coolest opportunity in the world I, and i feel like skateboarders never thought the that skateboarding was going to be the olympic games but my family always knew that skateboarding being the Olympic Games, which is so weird. I always think about it. My dad used to tell me when I was seven or eight years old that like, son, skateboarding is going to be an Olympic sport. And when it is, you're going to be ready. Like you're going to be able to simulate this type of pressure that you're putting yourself through in the park and this hard work, it's going to come, it's going to come in handy. Like it's going to, it's going to pay off. And my whole life I got told that. And when it, when it became an Olympic sport, it was the biggest manifestation moment of my life because it was really what I've been working towards because I always felt like I was meant for something bigger. 
you know, and I still feel like I'm meant for something bigger now. Sometimes I feel like skateboarding is almost a selfish act, just doing an individual an individual sport. You know, that's why I try to always pass off this information of how to love and enjoy what you do at a young age, because sometimes I feel like it's the end of the world, you know? And uh, when I look back at the Olympic Games, I think of what a privilege it was to, what a privilege it was to be a part of something that legitimized a whole sport. Like skateboarding was legitimized when it's, when it, hit the Olympic games. And it also blew up both sides of skateboarding. It got so much more views, so much more skateboards were sold. And if you're a competitor like I am, who loves the highest and highest of pressure competition, you have a whole new route, right? But if you're a skateboarder who doesn't like the pressure, who wants to street skate and create, which is awesome too, you now have a new, you now have new viewers to buy your products and to help you create. And you know, the Olympic Games was just such a pinnacle of skateboarding. Wow. And can you, you said you were putting your mind to it whenever you train and when you were running then in Tokyo. I've seen the video. I know that many people around the planet have seen it. We saw you putting the earplugs in and just dropping in and, and getting that medal. Can you explain to us what do you listen to? Uh, what kind of music do you listen to when you compete in the Olympics? And what was the feeling that you that you have? Yeah, so the music that I had in my AirPods was all music that I've competed to and trained to for the last couple of years. Um, it, it was a lot of old and new rap. There's also a, like a couple country songs, which is random, but that was the playlist. And um, and yeah, you know, I think that the Olympics. If you look at the Olympics as anything else but another competition, you're kind of gonna psych yourself out, right? So my whole perception of the Olympic Games was like this is an opportunity for me to compete at my highest level, you know, and not overthink it, right? Because if you overthink the Olympic Games, there's a lot of pressure. There's also a lot of opportunity, but really all that pressure is just what you can gain. There's nothing to lose, you know, and that, that's kind of how I look at life. That's how I look at, that's my perception of everything is like, there's, there's really nothing to lose. Like I have nothing to lose going out there trying my hardest with a smile on my face. And if it didn't go my way, that was fine. Mm -hmm. I'm 100% okay with death. I'm 100% okay with, with losing, you know? So my whole perception going into this one is very similar. It's like, it's just another contest is a chance for me to perform my best. But at the same time, the last thing I'm going to do is think negatively about that pressure because I'm so excited to experience it. It's incredible. And for those who have seen you compete, I think it looked like that you were actually enjoying and you were looking forward to it and that when the sports world is looking. And it reminds me a little bit about the quote that Air Jordan uh, said when he says, why should I worry about the shot I haven't taken yet? And I think that's the attitude that it takes and that is maybe important and interesting for our dear listeners in this podcast to learn and get inspired from. Thank you so much for taking uh, the time. I know you are going to see the manufacturer side here in uh, Schaffhausen together with the team. Uh, you have a, a good schedule. So I'm very happy and grateful that you took the time to join us on our Partners in Time um, podcast. We are very happy to have you as part of the IWC family. And we do look forward to see you compete on the very highest level in Paris, the little bit less than a year from now. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to see more about this amazing company and uh, hopefully we get to do another one of these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we do. Thank you very much. Thank you.